Okay, as uh, Rob said, I'll be meaning, reading from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, uh, it, that's on page 13, it's go over to the right, New Testament, and they restart the numbering there, and it's page 13. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, 
He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. And let's pray. Father, would you come and fulfill what our Lord Jesus has just taught us? Give us ears to hear that we might be good soil and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking this week about what was going to happen right here at this moment and about looking out over this crowd and realizing that it's, it's really quite amazing, if not a little bit crazy, what is going on here. You're sitting here, many of you do this multiple times a month, getting ready to listen to somebody preach from a very old book. You're you're sitting here getting ready to listen to a guy who in himself is no better, no smarter, no wiser, no more godly than anyone else in this room, and yet here you are, and Many of you are getting ready to hear with an anticipation that God is going to say something to you. That's wild. When you really think about that, some would, some would say that is crazy, but it is what is. It is why we are here. The fact of the matter is that there will be several different responses to what is preached, you will each do your own thing with this sermon. That's what Matthew 13 is about. Matthew 13 is Jesus talking to us about how different people hear and respond to his word. I'm sure you've been like me. There have been times in your life when you've been talking with someone for a while and then realize that they weren't getting it. And and so you say, you're not even hearing me. You are hearing in the physical, but you're not hearing in the internal. You're not hearing in the spiritual or emotional or relational. People do that with God all the time. God speaks to us in nature. He speaks to us through fellowship. He speaks to us in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He speaks to us in dreams and visions and prophetic moments. He speaks to us by His Spirit, but mostly and most clearly and most authoritatively, He speaks to us through Scripture as it is read and studied and preached and expounded, and yet there are many times when God could say, you're not hearing me. Are you hearing God? Is your life a life in which you are being attentive to the Word of God in such a way that it is bearing fruit in your life? The passage that is in front of us is a passage we're going to take a couple of weeks to look at, and here's, here's the summary of this text. The condition of our hearts affects the hearing of our ears and the fruitfulness of our lives. The condition of our hearts affects the hearing of our ears 
and the fruitfulness of our lives. And I do pray that we will hear what we are hearing about hearing here this afternoon. Let's look at the text. The, the text, I, I'm going to divide it up under, under three simple headings, the problem, the parable, and the point. First of all, the problem in verses 1 and 2, the problem simply stated is this, surprisingly, there are too many people in Jesus' congregation. Matthew 13, verses 1 and 2, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. That is the problem. The crowd is too large. There are too many people in Jesus' congregation here. You say, how is that the problem? Well, the problem traces back. Remember what Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Jesus tells us that Relatively speaking, compared to all those who reject the gospel, who reject him, there are just a few who will respond positively to the message of Christ. But what's going on here in Matthew 13 is Jesus looks around him and he sees that there are many that are following him. And since he knows that really, in truth, only a few will follow him, then there's something wrong with the number of the people. He, he is looking at the crowd and he is saying, this crowd is too large. And as a result of that, as we're going to see in a moment, he changes his teaching approach to show that many of them who are following him in this moment are not really following him at all. They are not genuine followers. My friends here this afternoon, we need to understand that. It is possible to look like you're a Christian. It is possible to look like you're a disciple. It is possible to look like a follower of Christ and not be one at all. More people in Jesus' day were professing faith than were possessing faith. More people were excited about Jesus and his miracles than were committed to Jesus and his lordship. More people were saying, count me in, than were actually counting the cost. More people were hearing in the, in the physical than were hearing in the spiritual. And that is a problem. And it's, it's a problem that continues to this day. I remember years ago hearing uh, a man named John Gerstner, who was the mentor for R.C. Sproul. Uh, John Gerstner talked about the fact that there are basically four types of people in the world. The first type of people are those who are saved by faith in Christ and they know it. And that, he said, that's the best group 
to be in. You are saved by faith in Christ and you have a spiritual assurance of that salvation. That's wonderful. The second group of people are people who are saved but are not sure of it. Those are those that have doubts. Those are those who have questions. Maybe they have an extra hyperactive conscience so that every time they do something wrong, they begin saying, he loves me, he loves me not, does he, does he not? And there are those who genuinely believe in Christ or following Christ, but due to weakness of faith are not sure of their salvation. They are saved, but they're not sure of it. It's still a pretty good place to be in. Then there's the third group, and that is people who are not saved, but they know they're not saved. They don't even pretend, they don't even make believe, they know they don't trust in Christ, they know they have no interest in Christ, and they go about their merry way with no concern about it whatsoever. That's the third group. The fourth group, it's bad enough being in the third group, but the fourth group is the one you don't want to be in. The fourth group is a group that are not saved, but think they are. They are not saved, but think they are. They've gone through a prayer. They've gone through the motions. They are externally following Jesus. They go to church. They do the religious things. They do all that stuff and think that they're okay, but their hearts are far from Him. And that's the problem that Jesus is addressing here in Matthew chapter 13. He is is saying as he looks out over the crowd, there are people here who think they're following me, who think they're hearing me, but are not. So how does Jesus solve this problem? He changes his teaching approach and started talking in riddles and metaphors and parables. In this context, he talks in parables not to illustrate in order to clarify his teaching. He talks in parables to actually hide the meaning of his teaching. Look at verses 3 through 9. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The end. No explanation. Notice that there's no interpretation. It's just this strange parable. It's just this riddle. No explanation, no exposition, no secret interpretive formula. Jesus just stands up in front of this vast crowd, gives them this riddle-like teaching, and then goes silent on them. He did something very similar to this in John chapter 6 where there were huge crowds. Remember right after the feeding of the 5,000 and there are massive crowds following him and he does some of his 
what's the right word? He uses metaphors and speech that are bizarre. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to follow me. And he doesn't explain. And what happens in John 6? Everybody but the 12 disciples walk away. Because his teaching confused them and confounded them rather than clarified for them the truth. Now why does Jesus do this? Because he is beginning to sift out his crowds here. He is beginning to to draw lines here. He is beginning to say, if you're going to really follow me, then you need to be all in. And people who want to follow Christ are going to make sure they understand Christ. And so when they hear teaching that they do not understand, what will a genuine follower do? He will go to Jesus and say, clarify this for me, I need to know. But if those are not interested, if they're not sincere, they'll hear the confusing teaching and they'll either have a dazed look on their face or they'll just kind of look and shrug their shoulders and walk away. And that's what happens here. There's only one group of people that ask, what's this all about? In verse 10, the disciples asked. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And then he goes on to explain it. He answered them, verse 11, To you it has been given, to you, you twelve, you disciples, you who are really following me, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, this vast crowd, it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. Do you remember the day when that was true of you? When you heard about Jesus and it was total nonsense to you. You remember the day when you heard the gospel, you heard the word of God preached? Not only was it nonsense, it was offensive to you. You had no eyes to see it or ears to hear it. Remember that day? I remember that day. Jesus goes on, You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that when people are left to themselves, hear this, when people are left to themselves, with no divine initiative and intervention in their lives to help them hear and help them understand God's truth, all that will happen in those people's lives is that their ears will grow even duller and their eyes will become even more blind. Unless 
God does something in us we will never see and we will never hear. He does not say here to the disciples, by you it has been earned to see. He says, to you it has been given to see. And the difference is between a response or a statement that gives us the credit and a statement that gives God all the glory. It has been given to you to see. If you see, if you have eyes to see the beauty of Jesus, if you have heart to respond to the gospel, if you have heard about Jesus dying on the cross for your sin, being raised from the dead, being ascended up into glory, being king of all the universe, reigning until all of his enemies are made his footstool, until the whole galaxy, all the galaxies belong to him and he rules them all. If you have heard that and seen that and tasted the goodness of that, it's because it has been given to you. You didn't earn it. It isn't because you were smarter than others, or wiser than others, or more willing than others. It is because God in His sovereign mercy and grace opened your heart and changed your mind and changed your will and softened you, enabling you to be willing to see and willing to to hear this is taught everywhere in scripture even in Matthew's gospel didn't we already see this in Matthew 11 verses 25 and 26 at that time Jesus declared I thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. He's talking there not about, well, he has revealed them to little children, but also we who are of humble spirit by his grace are little children. And Jesus says, Father, you have revealed these things to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Later on in Matthew 16, after Peter has given his great confession, in response to the question, who do you say I am? Peter says what? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Seeing, hearing, believing are gifts of God. If you have any degree of spiritual understanding, if you have any degree of willingness to bend your knees to Christ, to see His beauty, to hear His law, to love His law, to be His disciple, it's because God has given it to you. And so surely, we must give all praise to Him. No pat on our back. No credit to our account. All praise to Him who in His sovereign mercy has given faith to us. It reminds me of an old hymn that I sang growing up. 
How sweet and awesome is the place. And that hymn goes like this. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors. While everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. It's talking about the church. How sweet and awesome to be in the church. Where Christ is. Where not the church building, but the church gathered. While everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast. Each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Does your heart hear that and feel that? Why? Why was I made to hear his voice? Why was I made to enter while there's room when thousands and millions and billions make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Did you ever wonder that? Why me, Lord? Not the typical human why me is why am I suffering, but the more humble and reasonable why me, Lord, why such grace in my life? Why was I made to hear His voice? Jesus here is saying to us that the ability to hear is God-given. And so it is something that ought to turn our hearts to praise and gratitude and wonder and amazement. But then Jesus turns it, goes back to the parable, and in this parable offers to all of us a solemn warning, an admonition. He is saying in this parable, the condition of our hearts, of your heart, affects the hearing of your ears and the fruitfulness of your life. Let's look at the text. Let's look at the parable quickly. First of all, notice in verse 19 what the seed is. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes, snatches it away. So the seed that Jesus is talking about in this parable is the word of the kingdom. It's that word that I just talked about a few minutes ago. Jesus is the king. The king left his throne above, submitted to the sufferings of earth and death on the cross. He is the one who conquered death, conquered the grave, reigns in holiness. His kingdom is going to spread over all the earth and it's going to include people from every tribe and tongue and language on the planet. He will reign, he will reign, he will reign, he will reign. That's the word of the kingdom and all that goes with that. This word of the kingdom is a wonderful word. It's a word of hope and future. It is is a glorious word. But the condition of our hearts affects our hearing of that word and its fruitfulness in our lives. Jesus 
teaches us that by saying, okay, here is the word, here's the seed that is being sown, but there's four different types of soil. There's the hard path soil, verse 19. Is the soil that or the seed that falls on the path and the evil one comes and snatches it away before it finds its way into the heart. That's old agriculture, old uh, life in Israel where uh, the farmers were out there and there were these paths that went between the fields and these paths were well-worn and they were beaten down and the, some of the seeds that the farmer would sow would land on the path but because the path was so hard, so impenetrable, the seed couldn't enter into the ground. And so what happens? Well, the birds come along and they, they eat the seed before it has a chance to do anything. And Jesus says that's what happens when the seed of the Word falls on some hearts. Their hearts are so hard, so impenetrable, so unprepared that the Word just falls on their hearts like on a hard path. And before it has any chance at all to get into the heart, Satan comes along and snatches it away. It'll happen to some of you today. If you let it, it'll happen to some of you today. By the time you get to the parking lot, you will have forgotten what was preached. You will have forgotten what you heard. Happens every Sunday in churches all over the world. The hard path. Then he says there's the rocky ground soil. Verses 20 and 21 what was sown on the rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What's going on here? Well, this was a different kind of soil. This was, this was a, a, an area of land where it looked like there was soil. There was a layer of dirt but underneath that layer, just an inch or two under the layer, was this large slab of rock. And so when the seed falls on that particular soil, it sinks down a little bit into that inch or two of soil and looks like there's actually life there. It looks like something's happening. But when the sun comes out and scorches it, because it has no deep roots, no true roots, it withers up and dies. And Jesus says, there are many people like that. They hear the word of God, the word of the kingdom, and they're thrilled. He said, you receive it with great joy. They're happy. This is wonderful. Jesus is king. Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me. This is all good. This is all wonderful. But as soon as the sun comes out, as soon as tribulation starts to happen, as soon as life gets hard, or as soon as persecution for the word, for Jesus begins to happen, because there is no real root down deep in the soul. That apparent faith, that apparent joy just withers up and dies under the scorching sun. Then Jesus says there's the thorny ground soil. Verse 22. 
As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. This, this is a heart that seems to receive the truth. The seed gets in there a little bit and even grows a, a stem and some leaves, but it never gets to the point of bearing actual fruit because thorns and thistles and weeds grow up and choke it all out. And Jesus says those thorns are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Not necessarily bad things, but things that are allowed to take over and distract and choke out the life of faith. And then there's the fourth soil. This is the good soil, verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What, what soil is this? This is a heart that's prepared. The soil is good, it's well nourished, it's cultivated, the stones are removed, the ground is tilled, the, the, the ground is watered, the weeds are pulled by the Spirit of God, the heart is made ready to receive the seed. And when the seed falls into this kind of heart, it takes root and it bears fruit. So what's the point? The problem in this context, the congregation was too big. The solution to that problem is Jesus starts talking in riddles to see who's really interested in knowing and who's going to just kind of walk away because they don't get it. The parable is that God's word goes out. It is sown. It is cast into the field of human hearts. And there are some hearts so hard that it never penetrates at all. There are other hearts that look like they're soft, but underneath an inch down there's this slab of stone. There are hearts that look good, the plant is growing, but they allow all kinds of cares and concerns and anxieties to creep into the heart and like weeds and thistles and thorns, just choke the life right out. And then there's the heart made ready by grace to hear, to understand, to receive, and to bear fruit. That's the parable. So what's the point? The condition of our hearts affects the hearing of our ears and the fruitfulness of our lives. What condition is your heart in? How ready are you to receive God's Word? The Word of the Kingdom. Jesus tells us in this context and I'll get through just a couple of these now. But Jesus tells us that there are six things that diminish or dull our hearing. Six things that keep us from bearing fruit. The first one is a hardness of heart. 
but we just don't want it. If you're in that condition here this afternoon, can I plead with you? Can I plead with you to think about it again? To consider who Jesus is and what he has done? To allow that somehow to penetrate the hardness? Don't, don't let Satan snatch it away before you get to the parking lot. Hold on to it. Consider it. There is a king and a savior who is worth serving and loving. There is a God worth adoring. There is a kingdom worth being a part of. There is a destiny and a future worth hoping in and looking for. Don't let the enemy snatch it away. Hold on to it long enough to maybe actually pray about it. Ask God to open your eyes to see. Hardness of heart can keep us from hearing. Secondly, tribulation and trials can keep us from hearing. Jesus says that the stony ground here when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word immediately fall away. Trials and tribulations. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who when they hear about Jesus, when they hear about the Christian faith, they somehow get the idea that if they, if they trust in Jesus, if they believe in Jesus, then all their problems are going to go away. Their life is going to be smooth and easy and, and God is going to fix everything and, and it just won't be hard anymore. But uh, as much as you might hear that from TV preachers, you will not hear that from Jesus. Jesus tells us up front, the way is narrow and the way is hard. And if you think that it's going to be easy, as soon as it gets hard, you're going to be like the, the stony ground hearer. Your faith is going to wither up and die. It's going to be hard. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for the Word because following Christ's Word and obeying Christ's Word is not easy. I don't know if any of you have ever noticed that. It is hard to live the Christian life. It is hard to be faithful to Jesus in this broken, evil world. It is hard. It is not easy just to, just to obey the Word. But, and it's beyond even that. It's just... Life is hard. Have you noticed that? Job says, man is born for trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. Sparks come up from a fire, they go upward. Humans are going to have trouble. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have trial. If you think coming to Jesus is going to take all that away and you're just happy because you're in Jesus, oh, you're going to be disappointed. And you're not going to be prepared for the real world. Troubles are going to come. Tribulations are going to come. We have to be ready. And then Jesus says there's a third thing that hinders our hearing. It's persecution. It's when we actually are attacked or assaulted or hated or maligned or mocked because we love Jesus. Jesus says this under, again, the rocky ground. He says, when persecution arises on account of the word, these people immediately fall away. You see, persecution 
can, it's like the sun coming out and scorching you. And, and, and we have to realize, and this has always been true everywhere throughout the world and throughout history, it has been true that when you are a faithful follower of Christ, you will be despised by the world. You just will. All, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all who are godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You can't be a faithful Christian and be loved by everybody. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus, there's another summary of the Sermon on the mountain, mountain. He says, woe is you if everyone does love you. Something's wrong if everyone loves you. If you become a baptized, committed follower of Jesus Christ, there are going to be some people who don't like you. If you say, Jesus is Lord, and mean by that, He and He alone is Lord, there will be a world that hates you. If you say what Jesus said, that He is the way, the truth and the life and no one can come to the Father except through Him. If you say that Jesus is the only way to God, you will be hated by the world. If you say that God is holy and He judges sin, the world will hate you. If you talk about God's law about sex and sexual sin, premarital sex, adultery, same-sex behavior, divorce, remarriage, not sanctioned by Scripture, any other sexual behavior outside of a one-man-with-one-woman covenanted relationship for life. If you, if you live according to God's law about this, you will be mocked if you talk about God's law about this, you will be hated. You just will. And what the world will do, what the world is doing, is it creates its own standard of morality. Knowing that we as Christians can't live, won't live by that same standard so that they then can crucify us on the standard that they have raised. What do I mean by that? Way back in the first century, Christians were killed. Remember in the Colosseum and all of that? You know why they were killed? They were accused of three things. One of being immoral because they had all their meetings at night and you know what people do at night. Two, of being cannibals. Any idea why? Because they had shared communion at which they said, this is my body, this is my blood. And three, they were accused of being atheists. Do you know why? Because in the Roman Empire, the only real supreme deity was Caesar. 
And if you were unwilling to say Caesar is Lord, then you were considered an atheist and thrown to the lions. And so the world created a standard of what belief is and then crucified Christians on that standard because Christians could not abide by that standard. Still going on today, brothers and sisters. In China today, believers are thrown into jail, they are tortured, they suffer because they are considered unpatriotic because they will not pledge allegiance to a godless communistic regime. In various Muslim lands, you're branded an infidel if you do not bow to Allah. In this country, you will be called a hater if you don't approve of certain lifestyles. Parents are being called abusive if, if they don't give their children the choice of what gender they want to have. You'll be called a bigoted sexist if you embrace biblical roles of men and women. You'll be called anti-justice unless you embrace an ethic and an umbrella that, that covers everybody, no matter what their lifestyle or their cause. You will be called a fundamentalist if you love God's Word and an extremist if you take it seriously. You will be called anti-choice or anti-women if you stand up in behalf of the unborn. You see, what the world does is it creates its own standard that we as Christians cannot live by and then crucifies us on that standard. It's happening, it's unfolding even as we speak. See, here's, here's the reality, and I'll close with this. We'll come back to this next week. Here's the reality, friends. To really hear the word of the kingdom in a way that involves saving faith in Christ, you need to be willing to count the cost. It is not easy to follow Christ, but it's worth it. It is not easy. You will have tribulation. You will have persecution. The sun will come out and beat down on you. But it's worth it because He's worth it. He's worth it. He is Savior. He is King. He is Lord. He is Redeemer. He is alive. He is good. He is kind. He is merciful. He is gracious. And He is your entrance into heaven. He's worth it. Have you counted the cost? And are you willing to follow Jesus? I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. We'll return to this next week. In the meantime, don't let Satan snatch this away. This is truth that Jesus says is very important for us. We must, we must hear. We must hear, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual, in the heart, in the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please 
grant. Give to us ears to hear so that we might receive the word and bear much fruit. For Jesus' sake, amen.